Well, good evening, y'all, and happy Lord's Day. Thank you. Guys, this day is a wonderful day, divine mercy, uh, this wonderful gift that God gives to us um, is just a pure gift. He wants to pour out His mercy upon us. Um, guys, I don't, I've never been on a recruiting team, um, but if I would be hired to recruit for, say, Nichols baseball or football or anything like that, um, I would probably go and try to get the most stellar athletes possible, right? That's what recruiters want to do. They want to form the best team that they can possibly have, right? And so they're going to go to all these ball games. And they're going to look for the best quarterback and the best pitcher and the best fieldsman and all these different positions. They're going to look for the best, the best of the best, and offer them positions, right? That's what I would do if I was putting together a team. But whenever Jesus is putting his team together, he doesn't quite do it that way, does he? I mean, think about whenever Jesus went out and he started recruiting his guys, so to speak, and calling them to follow him, he didn't go to the powerful ones. He didn't go to the the most stellar guys, the smartest, the most intellectual, right? He went and called this guy named Peter a hothead, right, who had a temper like nobody's business, who was constantly putting his foot in his mouth and would end up betraying him at the end of the game, right? He recruited another guy named Judas, right? This guy was a thief. He loved money more than he loved life itself, but he ends up betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, right? This was one of his chosen 12. He chose a guy named Matthew, right? Matthew, the tax collector. This was the guy that none of the Jews liked. And you're going to put him inside of this magnificent group that you pull together, right? You can also choose later on a guy named Paul, a murderer of the Christians, (laughs) feared by everybody. You can later on also choose a woman to follow you named Mary Magdalene, a prostitute, right? You can follow a few years later a guy named Augustine, a very brilliant guy, but a hadia, I mean, a, a, a guy that was the life of the party, had a kid outside of wedlock, and then has a conversion and, uh, from paganism and becomes Catholic and becomes one of the greatest doctors of the church, by the way. He's going to call another guy who's going to be bullied growing up as a kid. He's going to end up getting into some toxic relationships and getting very confused and very lost and going on some wayward paths and going all over the place and um, ends up calling him to be a priest. Bing, 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 bing. <laughs> right? He doesn't choose the sharpest tools in the shed, guys. Right? This is the way that God calls. He doesn't call the most brilliant, most perfect ones that he goes, man, I did a good job on this. Well, let me... Get him to be part of my team. No, he calls all of us of every walk of life. He's calling you and he's called me. And you've responded. You're here today. You don't have to be at Mass. You're here. Why? Because God has called and he wants us to follow him. And so I want to focus on Thomas today. But we've got to realize that in the first part of the gospel, Jesus comes to the apostles. They're locked up in fear. Right? That's what it says in the upper room. They're locked up in fear. And Jesus, although the doors were locked, this is the resurrected body of Jesus. He pops in and out of places without having any sense of boundary or walls. Right? All of a sudden, poof, Jesus is right there in the midst of them. Though the doors were locked. And the first thing he says, now if I was the apostles, I'd be pretty darn scared. Why? Because all of them, except John, they hightailed it out of there whenever Jesus went to the cross. And then whenever the women came and told them that Jesus had risen, what did all of them, including John, do? I don't think so. They doubted. They all doubted Jesus' resurrection. 
and all of a sudden Jesus is standing in their midst. Poof. I'd be like, oh no. <laughs> right? And what's the first thing Jesus says? Peace be with you. God, those are good words, y'all. Right? Good words. To Jesus to say to us, peace be with you. And he says it a second time. And then he gives them divine authority and divine power to forgive sins. This is where the sacrament of reconciliation comes in, right? Why do Catholics go to a priest for confession? Because Jesus said so, <laughs> right here. John chapter 20. Who sins you forgive, they're forgiven. Who sins you hold bound, they're hold bound. And Jesus breathes on them, giving divine authority, divine life upon them to forgive sins, right? But I want to focus on Thomas today. Because Thomas, to me, he fascinates me, right? Thomas was one of the twelve. Right? He was one of the chosen twelve of the apostles. <clears throat> it was a young man whenever Jesus called him. And he's, he's really the twin. That's what it says. Thomas, one of the twelve, also called the twin. Right? I don't know why he's called the twin. Did he have a twin brother? I'm not sure. But I seem to think that the twin is me and you. We're the twins. We're Thomas. What do I mean by that? Well, let's just check out Thomas's life and you'll see... I saw in my life a great reflection between me and Thomas, right? So we see Thomas, and in this gospel, he becomes known as Doubting Thomas, right? How would you like that one? For generations to come, for 2,000 years later, anyone, anytime somebody thinks of St. Thomas, they go, uh, the doubter, you know, some guy he was. But what was he really like? Well, we, we see in John's Gospel, backing up a little bit to chapter 10, we see that there was a moment in Jesus' life where he was going to go to Bethany and he was going to raise his friend Lazarus from the dead. Remember, Lazarus died and Jesus is like, okay, we're going to go. Lazarus fell asleep. We're going to go and raise him up. And his disciples didn't get it. They're like, oh, well, if he's sleeping, he'll just wake up. Why do we have to go all the way over there? And Jesus is like, all right, guys, you don't get it. Lazarus is dead, all right? He's not just sleeping, he's dead. I'm going to go and raise him up so that the glory of God will be revealed. Now, Thomas knew, as did the other apostles, that if Jesus went back over there, the Jewish leaders were looking for him, and they wanted to stone him and kill him. So listen what Thomas does. Now, this is Thomas the doubter, okay? Check this out. Whenever Jesus says this, Thomas, called the twin, said to all the fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. <laughs> That's Thomas. At this point in Thomas's life, he's like, wait, okay, if Jesus is going and he's going to probably be killed, guys, come on, all 12 of y'all, let's go. We're going to go die with him. Like this is the fire that Thomas had. Thomas wasn't some wimpy old dude that didn't want to like accept things and pitch to fit when things didn't go his way. Thomas had a fire and a love inside of him for Jesus that above all the other 12, he was ready to go and die with Jesus. All right? This is Thomas the man, the young man who had a mission and he was called and he was going to lay his life down. Right? And so Thomas was on this awesome relationship with the Lord, ready to die for Him. All right? And realize this too. 
the very next sentence, once he says that, it says, now then Jesus came and found Lazarus had already been dead. Now, what they're missing is the journey. What happened from that moment to a full day's journey from where they were all the way to Bethany? Those 15 to 20 hours of walking, what was going through the 12 apostles' minds? Thomas, let's go die with him. All day long. I wonder what the conversations were like. Was there just this crazy silence? Was this fire inside of them of like, yeah, we're marching and we're going to lay our life down because Jesus is going to be killed when he gets there? Like, what was that part of the day like for them? We can only imagine it, right? But this, I wanted to show you, like, this is the heart of Thomas, a powerful man who loved Jesus, who was a friend of Jesus. And now fast forward, Thomas, at the crucifixion, flees, like all the other ones except for John. He leaves. He doesn't go die with Jesus. He abandons him. And then all of a sudden, three days after the crucifixion, everybody is talking about the resurrection of Jesus and that he appeared to them and that he breathed on them and he gave them divine authority to forgive sins and he showed them his hands and he said, look, I'm here, it's me, peace be with you. And what does Thomas do? He wasn't with them. Thomas had separated himself from his brothers. Think about that for a minute. That was the church that was gathered, yes, in fear, but they were still gathered together as brothers, holding on to what they thought was the right thing to do. But they were afraid for their life. But Thomas separated himself from his brothers, and he got away from the church. And Jesus goes and he appears to the, to the twelve, to what was ten then, and they tell him, hey, he's appeared, he's alive, he's, he was there with us. And Thomas goes, I tell you guys, I'm not going to believe that he's risen unless I put my fingers in the hands of his nails and put my whole hand, the whole hand inside of his chest on the wounded side. He wants to put his entire hand in there and tickle his heart, I guess. I don't know what he wanted to do. But that's crazy. That's crazy talk. And you would think, God... Poor Thomas, you're so upset. You know, titty baby, why can't you just accept that Jesus is risen and stop complaining that everybody else saw him and you didn't? Why can't you just believe? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, right? I just said titty baby in a homily. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> twice. Sorry. Um, but you see this... But Thomas, I think this is the deal. I think Thomas loved the Lord so much and this was his friend. And he appeared to everybody else except for him. I think Thomas's heart was broken. I really do. Why did Jesus not come to me? I mean, I, I'm his friend too. He chose me. I was one of the twelve. Why didn't he come to me? Why, why just them? Right? And so I think in friendship, Thomas is just, he's just broken. He's just a broken guy. And so he, he puts forth the impossible. You know, it's not good enough for me just to see him. I got to touch him. I got to put my hand right inside of his side. I want to become one with him. And like, like, that's incredible. Right? And so Jesus knows that. And so what happens with Jesus, he comes along and he tells Peter, I mean, he tells, he tells Thomas, he, he comes and stands in their midst. Again, the doors were locked, and he stands in there, and Peter's, I mean, Aunt Thomas is finally with him, and he says it again, peace 
be with you. This is the third time he said that. Then he says to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it into my side. And don't be faithless. Don't doubt, but believe. Right? And that's where this encounter with the resurrected body of Jesus happens. We've got to realize whenever Jesus resurrected, he wasn't just a spirit, right? He wasn't just an emotion. He had a real body. And that body held the wounds from the cross on it. Why is it that Jesus, none of the other wounds were there, but the hands and the feet and the side, they were still there on the resurrected body of Jesus. Why? Because that bore the mark of our sins. And Jesus shows that in his resurrected body, he's not going to erase the reality that he died for our sins. And so he's saying, Thomas, I died for you. I died for your sins particularly. And I want you to enter into that wound of his heart. Like This is an amazing encounter that Thomas has with Jesus. You know, side note, St. Um, Catherine of Siena, she was a mystic and a doctor of the church. She had a vision of what she thought was Jesus. And um, it was actually Satan that appeared to her, and he looked like Jesus. And she began to look at him, and she realized it wasn't Jesus. And she rebuked him, said, away with you. And as he was leaving, he said, how would you know I wasn't Jesus? And she said, because you didn't have the scars on your hands and your feet and your side. You didn't have the wounds, she said. <laughs> See, Satan can't have wounds, but Christ does. He still has his wounds because he continues to love. He continues to remind us of his love. So in his resurrected body, he continues to remind us of his love. So Thomas has this amazing encounter with Jesus. And Thomas's life from that point on is no longer the same. But yet this is doubting Thomas, right? This is the one who, shall, who shuddered in his faith. I think this is why we're twins. I don't know about you, but there's times in my life where I've been super convicted of God's love for me. And there's been other times where I've doubted to the point where I almost left the Catholic Church. We're twins. What did Thomas do after Jesus ascended up to the Father and he went to heaven? He stayed in Jerusalem for a little while. He no longer left the, the fellowship of the brotherhood. He stayed in Jerusalem with the brothers, and then he was sent out to India. Thomas ministered in India for 39 years, and on July the 3rd, 72 A.D., Thomas was speared to death and gave his life in martyrdom. Yeah, his original desire to follow Jesus and to go and die with him was fulfilled. His love for Christ as friend was fulfilled because he ended up laying down his life for Jesus. No longer this guy who was doubting God's love for him, but it was a man who was willing to lay down his life and literally did. Now, I don't know where that spear went inside of Thomas's body. I have no idea. I don't know if it was one spear or if it was 20 spears. I don't know. The, the historians don't say. But I wonder, just for kicks and grins, I wonder if that spear went through his heart to have it become more like the heart of Jesus. That heart that whenever he entered in his hand into the side and probably almost barely touched, I don't know. I wonder if Thomas's heart became so configured to Christ that that spear also went right through Thomas's heart. 
Like I said, no historians will speak of it, but I just wonder. It wouldn't surprise me if that's what happens. Right? And so this is where we find ourselves today. This great time of God's mercy, and Thomas experienced it. Now, there's this wonderful quote from St. Faustina about divine mercy. Uh, Speaking about today, Jesus says to her about this day, about this day of mercy for us, he says this. And I think Thomas experienced it 2,000 years ago. He says, on that day, all the divine floodgates through which grace flows are open. No soul shall fear to draw near to me, even though its sins be as scarlet. My mercy is so great that no mind, be it that of man or even the mind of angels, will be able to fathom it throughout all of eternity. Because <laughs> that's Jesus speaking. He says His mercy is so great. He says on this day, on Divine Mercy Sunday, that no mind, no man who's as brilliant as a man could be or a woman could be can fathom His mercy. Not even the minds of angels. The angels are pure intellectual beings. They have all the knowledge that they need. He says, not even an angel in all of eternity can ever fathom my mercy that he has for you and I. Because on this day, whenever we go to confession seven days before, seven days after, as Faustina says, and we go to Mass on this Divine Mercy Sunday, Jesus says, your sins will be forgiven and the penalty of all of your sins after you die will be wiped away. That means no purgatory time. That's like glory. That would be amazing. And it is, because that's how crazy and scandalous his mercy is. And Thomas experienced it. I've experienced it. Many of you have experienced it. And it's not just an emotion. What have we experienced? We've experienced a man who died on the cross and rose from the dead. And he's not an emotion. And he's not some spirit. He's a real man. People don't die for dead people. People don't die for spirits, and people don't die for emotions. Thomas died for a man, a man that he knew was God. And that's who he laid his life down for. That's why he went out to the pagan nation of India and brought the message of hope and the message of the gospel. And so Christianity can be summed up in two little simple words. Come and go. Come and go. Come, Jesus says. Come follow me. Come. Walk this journey with me. Come, Jesus says. But go out. Go out to the ends of the world and bring the gospel and the message of hope to all those whom you will meet. Come and go. Right? That's the great commission Jesus gives to all of us. It's not just for priests. It's for you as well. Right? We're Thomas. I'm Thomas. You're Thomas. The question is, which Thomas are we today? Are we the Thomas that's lit up and on fire and ready to go and lay down our life and go out into the world and bring the message of the gospel? Or do we find ourselves today as a Thomas who's doubting what in the world is God doing and where am I at and I'm struggling right now and I don't even know if he exists, but I'm here. Which Thomas are we? Right? And it's okay to be where you're at so long as we ask Jesus to be in it with us. Right? Thomas was still doubting even though Jesus came right in the midst. Right? And so let us be right there with Jesus, asking him to come right into our hearts 
and to fill us with a faith and a hope and a fire um, that is willing to take what we receive here and bring it out into the world. Amen.